I'm Zach Anderson, if you don't know me, and uh, um, it's my honor to serve as the director of Connecting Ministries here at Covenant United Methodist Church. Uh, Jason is gracious enough to let me preach this morning, and, uh, and so without further ado, let's look at the Word of God. Uh, we're going to be reading in the book of Luke, chapter 14. Uh, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, I'll give you a minute to do that. It's also going to be on the screen behind me, uh, or if you're an auditory learner, you can just listen. Um, But we're going to read Luke 14, starting in verse 25. It goes like this. It's talking about Jesus. Um, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we worship you this morning. Like Jason said, we are a thankful people. Right now, what I'm thankful for most is your great love that you chase us down, you draw us to yourself, that you have forgiven us to all who repent and believe. We love you, God, and it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. I was reading an article this week by Janine K. Brown, uh, and she is a professor of the New Testament at Bethel Seminary, uh, and she was talking about uh, our culture today uh, and how our culture is a very market-driven culture. Um, Our culture has a, uh, an idea of sales that's very uh, prevalent. And, and she was talking about how, because of how prevalent this sales and market-driven culture is, it makes sense uh, for us as Christians to try and sell the concept of Jesus in a relationship with him. Uh, and, and, and in sales, we want to present something uh, to a purchaser as being of low cost, or a low-risk investment for them and and give them a reason why they should invest in this thing. Um, This week, as we have already recognized, we had a great holiday. Uh, It's called Black Friday. (laughs) Just kidding. Black Friday, how did that become a holiday? I mean... Is there some kind of holiday council that just one day decided the day after Thanksgiving was going to be a terrible day for everyone? Uh, as you can see, I'm not in the Black Friday camp. 
But um, why do they call it black? Is it to reveal the, the hearts of the people who are trampling other people to get these deals? Or what? I mean, what's the deal? Um, no, but so, so if you, whether you fall in the camp that I fall in of avoid it like the plague, or whether you enjoy Black Friday shopping, and I will not judge you if that's you, that is fine. Uh, it's, a, it's a good time to get a good deal on Christmas gifts. Uh, I'll give it that. Um, you, uh, whichever camp you fall in, you have seen uh, this, this sales culture, this market culture. Uh, maybe you've seen somebody advertising something as uh, this product. It's for the, the low, low price of $24,999 plus tax. And, and then you realize, wait a second, that's like $25,000. That's not a great deal at all. Um, and there's this concept of the deal that you're, that you're getting, the price you're paying, uh, and the product that you're receiving. Um, and so, as a buyer, you want to assess those two things. Is this a good deal? Is this a good use of my money? Do I have enough money for this? And then also, you want to assess the product that you're getting. Is this a quality product? Uh, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Uh, but in this culture that we live in, uh, it, it makes sense, and I don't think it's entirely wrong, to think of Jesus in the same terms. Um, the deal, the price that we pay, and the product that we receive. Uh, in, in one sense, the deal uh, is the absolute best deal that we could ever get on anything, right? Salvation is a free gift from God. It costs us nothing. We just repent and believe, and we get eternal life with Jesus forever. And the product, unquestionably, hands down, best product you could ever get, right? It's Jesus. He's the best. No question. Um, but Jesus, unlike a lot of salesmen, uh, he wants us to know what the cost of discipleship is up front. And that's what he's telling this crowd of people that comes to follow him uh, in this chapter of Luke. Um, and so don't get me wrong, salvation is a free gift but discipleship, uh, Jesus tells us that it has a cost. And so what is the cost of discipleship? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. Uh, this crowd is following him, and he wants to let them know, hey, if you want to come to me, uh, the first thing he says is that you must hate your own father and mother and wife and kids and brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Right about now, you might be thinking, well, geez, Zach, uh, don't you know we just had Thanksgiving and now you're telling me to hate my family? Uh, what is the deal? And I want to be clear, that's not what I'm telling you to do. Uh, and it's not what Jesus is telling you to do either. Let's, uh, let's look a little more closely at this word hate that's used here. Uh, I went nerd for Jason and... Uh, this word hate in the Greek, it's the Greek word meseo. Um, and it's used uh, a few other times, once in Romans, to quote uh, a scripture in Malachi that we're going to read. Malachi was written uh, in 
Hebrew, however, and, uh, but, but the, the word used there is the same meaning as this Greek word, meseo. And so we're going to read Malachi chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen, verses 2 and 3a. Uh, the book of Malachi is a prophecy for the people of Israel uh, from the Lord through the prophet Malachi. And God says to the people of Israel this, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And so I, I think that uh, I want to be clear in saying God does not, uh, I don't think he hates any of us. Um, but what happened in the story of Jacob and Esau when we look back in Genesis is we see that, uh, that God knows he has to make a choice between these two brothers, they're twins, uh, of which one is going to be the in line of the patriarchy of the nation of Israel and one day Jesus. We have Abraham, the father of Israel, uh, his son Isaac, God chose between Isaac and Ishmael, and then Isaac had two sons, twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, and God had to make a choice. He chose Jacob. Uh, and so the word hate used here, uh, it's a Jewish term for love less or not choose. Um, in Genesis 36, just to prove that God does not hate Esau, uh, we'll read 36 verses 6 and 7 where it talks about the wealth that God has blessed Jacob and Esau both with. Um, in those days, God's blessing on you uh, was often uh, made visible by your family, your livestock, and your land. Uh, those who were wealthy in those areas were seen to be blessed by God. And Genesis 36 says this, uh, it's after Jacob and Esau have been reunited, reconciled, they're dwelling alongside one another, uh, and it says, Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojourning could not support them because of their livestock. You get what that says? They had too much wealth to live next to each other. Not because it was causing them to fight, but because the land itself could not support all of their animals. They were both richly blessed by God. God did not hate Esau, but he did not choose Esau. He chose Jacob. Uh, just in the same way as God chose Abraham over every other human being on the planet, uh, the Bible could have easily said, Abraham have I loved and everyone else have I hated. And it's not because God hated everyone else. It's because God just chose Abraham and did not choose any other person to fill that role. So to be very clear, Jesus is not calling you to hate your family, uh, but he's calling you to choose him over anything else. Uh, and this was incredibly culturally potent for them uh, because unlike most situations in America today, it's like this back then in the, in the Jewish culture and also 
some places in earth today where if you choose to follow Jesus, you literally have to make a choice between Jesus and your family because choosing Jesus meant exile from your family. And so this is a very uh, culturally potent request for Jesus to make, this cost that he lays out. Uh, Let's look at the next cost. It says uh, to hate your own life. Not only do you have to not choose your family, uh, your father, mother, wife, kids, brothers and sisters, but you can't even choose your own life. You have to choose me. A quick example of this. um, When I got married, uh, I had been living it up as a single guy. Um, Now, my version of living it up is probably way different than everyone else's version. Uh, What living it up looked like for me was if I could play sports every single day or twice a day or (gasps) three times a day, that was living. Uh, that was that was my best life, and um, and then after after sports, whenever the park closed, go back, hang out with my friends, and we would play board games. <laughs> board games. I was living it up as a single man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, and so when I got married. Um, that had to change. Uh, <laughs> it didn't fly anymore for me to stay out till 2 o'clock in the morning playing basketball and board games. Uh, my wife, rightfully so, and much to my benefit, desired to spend time with me, and I desired to spend time with her. But I remember uh, one day realizing, after I'd spent you know, like five nights in a row at home, Am I trapped in this house? <laughs> and uh, my wife is gracious to sometimes say, all right, you can get out of the house today and, and go do your thing because I see you're getting stir crazy. But, um, but I had to not choose my life of singleness and choose my new life with Kelsey. Uh, and quickly after that, I realized, uh, whoa, this is way better. Uh, sleep, it's nice. Um, and Kelsey is a much better companion than any other friend I'd ever had up to that point and, and still to this day. And so, uh, so that was, I just want to make that clear. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. Normally she's not here to hear it, but she surprised me today. So, um, <laughs> so Jesus calls for us to not choose our own life and to choose him. Uh, it ties in directly with the next cost that he lays out. Um, In verse 27, Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, Matthew Henry had this to say about this verse. He said, though the disciples of Christ are not all crucified, yet they all bear their cross as if they counted upon being crucified. You could read it this way. Though we as disciples of Christ are not all crucified, yet we all bear our cross as if we count upon being crucified. Jesus says in verse 33, 
Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Jesus uses incredibly strong language in this passage. Uh, he says, uh, he says, if anyone does not, that's an absolute, does not hate. Uh, he says, uh, he says to, uh, if you do not do these things, then you cannot be my disciple. It doesn't leave any wiggle room. So in our lives as disciples, we must be ready to lay everything down for the sake of Jesus. In our lives as disciples, we must be ready to lay everything down for the sake of Jesus. But if you don't love Jesus more than anything else, you won't be able to do this. Uh, for example, if, if Jesus calls, you, calls to you and says, Son, daughter, I know you love this job that you have, the security, the, the pay, the co-workers, the things that you do, but I need you to go over here and do this other job for me. If you love that job more than you love Jesus, you will not say yes. You won't. Or maybe if you're a, <clears throat> if you're a, a young adult single and, and you love your family and friends that you're with, uh, and God calls you and says, Son, daughter, I need you to go into this foreign land and do my work. If you love your family, your friends, and this life that you have more than you love Jesus, you won't go. And so in order to be ready to lay everything down for the sake of Jesus, you have to love him more than anyone or anything else. And unlike our culture of sales and a low-cost, low-risk presentation of product, Jesus wants you to know the cost up front. That's why he tells these people that have just started to follow him, hey, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you your life. In some form or another, it will cost you your life. It's the same thing like in marriage. Uh, on your wedding day, you make a vow, you make a covenant with your spouse that you will stay with them for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And I was talking with Pastor Jason, and he says that when he counsels these young couples that are getting married, he tells them, you know, right now it's real easy to see better. And it's real easy to see richer and health. But you have to see worse. You have to see sickness. You have to see poorer. Because you have to know what you're committing to so that you can follow through. And this is the same thing that Jesus is doing for us here. So what does it look like to lay everything down for the sake of Jesus? I'll tell you a story. Um, as most of you probably know, uh, my family, I lost a sister back in May of this year. Uh, she was 22. Her name is Marissa, and she died from a 
rough battle with a with Lyme disease and uh, and and really a laundry list of of maladies that she had. Uh, and ever since she passed away, I've been grieving. We've been mourning her loss. It's been a it's been a rough summer, and now fall. Uh, but one day I was on an airplane uh, with my wife, and I was reading Luke, and I came to this passage, and it was unlike any other experience I'd ever had reading the Bible. Uh, it was like everything else was blurred out, and this was in bold, in big letters. And I knew that Jesus was saying to me, Zach, you have to get this. And I read it, <clears throat> and I read it over and over again. And what stuck out to me in that moment was where Jesus said, if I want to be a disciple of his, which I do, I have to choose him over Marissa, over the loss and the grief that I was experiencing. I have, I have to choose Jesus. And I said, but God, I mean, don't you remember when she was in pain, when she was suffering and all she could do was scream into a pillow to not disturb the other kids in the house, when I prayed to you over and over again, God, just give me a little bit of it. Give me all of it. I don't care. I'll, I'll take it. Take it away from her and give it to me. I'm willing to bear this cross and lay my life down if that's what it takes. And you said, no. And Jesus said, you have to choose me. And I realized um, that if Jesus had allowed me to do that, I wouldn't have been taking up my own cross I would have been taking up hers. And I would have been stealing from her uh, one of the greatest gifts that she has ever given us, which was an example of what it looks like to love Jesus more than any other thing. Uh, an example of, of what this looked like practically in her life, of how she was able to deal with, with loss of, of quality of life, uh, with the loss of being able to walk around and stand up, um, with the loss of pretty much all of her hobbies and keep a joyful attitude. Uh, I'm about to tell a joke, and I know this is somber, but you're allowed to laugh at this. Uh, <laughs> she used to watch a lot of stand-up comedy when, when times were rough uh, because the laughter is good for the soul, amen? And uh, it helped her to be distracted from the suffering that she was in. And so one day... Uh, she was watching some stand-up comedy with my mom uh, in my mom's room, and she was laying in bed uh, as she always was because she couldn't walk. And, uh, and I, I imagine that she said something hilarious, and, uh, and my mom and her just cracked up for minutes. And this happened a lot. She would say something funny, and my mom and her would just laugh. And Marissa said, she thought to herself, you know, I would be good as a stand-up comedian. I just have to work on the standing up part first. <laughs> and so Marissa's ability to make light of her very serious situation that to a lot of people would have been devastating, 
showed where her priority was. Because the experience of loss helps to verify value and it clarifies where and what your priorities are. Whoever deals with loss the best has their value first and foremost in Jesus Christ himself. Marissa valued Jesus more than any other thing. Uh, to her last day, she was sharing the gospel with doctors, nurses, family members. She was laughing. Uh, I remember a, a prime example of, of how she loved Jesus and the, the life that he had chosen for her and how she bore her own cross uh, more than a life that she would have chosen uh, one of the last things she said to me was she had been reading in 1 John and it says, whoever has a son has life, but whoever does not have the son does not have life. And what she said was, what this means for me is that even though my life sucks, that's a quote, <laughs> even though I don't have a good quality of life, I have life. I have life. And she did and she does. Marissa loved Jesus more than anything else. And through that, God has taught me what it means to love Jesus more than anything else. I'm going to read a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who loved Jesus more than anything else. Uh, he was a German pastor and theologian uh, during World War II and, uh, and wound up uh, being a martyr for the cause. Um, and he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, and in this book, he covers how uh, we can cheapen grace by trying to earn it, right? We cheapen it. Uh, we, we lessen the price that Jesus paid when we try and pay some of the price ourselves. And then how grace is cheap because it's free for us, uh, but also how it's costly because of the price that Jesus paid uh, and the cost of our discipleship. And he said this, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his Son, for it is written, you were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ paid the greatest cost, so that you don't have to. 
But what he does ask is that you give your life so that you can receive his life. And in light of what Jesus Christ has done for you, I ask you, brothers and sisters, is Jesus your number one love? And if he's not, where does he lie on that list? I want you to reflect on that. And if you discover that Jesus is not your number one, I beg you, make Jesus Christ your first love.